part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our new Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, April 13th, and we're broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley here in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, we're going to do some training this morning with an examination of your legal rights as a union member. So just a reminder, folks, that the Valley Labor Report is a working class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 930 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube and podcast. And portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. Do encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm, which we're expanding to feature uh, published articles, including news and commentary relevant to working people. Really excited. We just uh, released an article last week from Kim Kelly who, for my money, is one of the best writers out there covering labor in the United States. Uh, You can see her work in Teen Vogue. You can see her work in the Rolling Stone magazine, um, all over the place, and very, very honored that Kim would write an article for us. So check that out, tvlr.fm. And while you're there, check out our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. We still have some T-shirts left. Uh, Definitely want to check those out. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show. We are looking for sponsors for Overtime and Shop Talk. I'm excited that we are finalizing the details on our very first Shop Talk sponsor, which we expect uh, to start next month in May. But we do need a couple more to sustain the series for the long haul. Beyond unions and allied organizations, we're also interested in other media outlets, union print shops and vendors, publishers, you know, anyone who might be interested in reaching an audience of union activists and allies. So please hit us up if you have any ideas for sponsors or if you're interested in your organization becoming a sponsor. Our single biggest source of contributions, though, comes from listener donations from a few bucks here and there from folks like yourself listening. 
You can make a one-time donation or a recurring donation at tblr.fm slash donate. We also have a Patreon if you prefer to donate that way. And we'll even take a good old-fashioned check mailed to our P.O. box. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we appreciate your support and we can't do it without you. We put out all of this content for free because we are dedicated to growing the Southern labor movement. If you share this mission, please support however you can so we can have media that is by, for, and of the working class. So I do want to update folks. Uh, this is, I believe, episode six of Shop Talk. Uh, we've been over the, on the air for over a month now. We've talked Walker County teacher strike. We've had Joe from Labor Notes talk about Stewards Corner. Had a great professor from the University of Miami, Max Frazier, talk about his work studying the working class. And uh, also, I did an episode on how to get involved as a new member. And this is kind of a companion episode today to that one. If you've missed any of these episodes, you can go back and check the podcast feed or the live streams on YouTube. We have a playlist set up for Shop Talk specifically. We hope this is useful and educational content that folks will continue to come back to long after the debut of the video and that folks will want to share with their friends and union members. And we've had some great suggestions so far on topics and guests for Shop Talk, so definitely please keep those coming. We think it's important to know our heritage as working people, especially here in the South, so that's why labor history is a focus of the series. And we know there's always a need for more education and training in our movement. It's an investment in our time and resources to produce Shop Talk, but we think it's a worthy investment and hope y'all do too. So no guests today on this episode. It will be a little bit on the shorter side. Uh, and since we have focused on labor history the last couple of weeks, I wanted to switch gears back into training mode. And today's topic is all about your legal rights as a union member. We all know that you should know your rights in the workplace, which is a topic we're, we're going to, of course, explore time and time again on Shop Talk and on the Valley Labor Report, knowing your rights in the workplace. But what about your rights inside the union? Did you know there's a union member Bill of Rights? Did you know there's certain rights that you have in the union that are actually protected by federal law? Today, we're going to take a look at these legal rights that you have as a union member. As I mentioned last month, I did an episode on getting involved, getting engaged as a new member. Uh, and this episode pairs really well with that one. Uh, and it's going to cover some of the same issues. At the Valley Labor Report, we believe the labor movement is the most potent force for democracy and progress that we have. We believe that a better Alabama is possible, a better South, a better country, and a better world. It's all possible. But ultimately, it will hinge on our ability as working people to come together collective organization and solidarity, that's our force to make the world a better place. We need it. We, we depend on it to make change. And at the backbone of that movement would be our unions, right? So unions are part of this movement 
that we feel is so important, so vital to our interest as working class people and as human beings on this planet, frankly. But unions, of course, are, are they're institutions. In addition to being part of a movement, they are their own institutions. And institutions sometimes have flaws. Institutions are run by people. And we know that people have flaws. Institutions over time can atrophy. They can become top-heavy or power can be concentrated among certain few. We know that Unfortunately, sometimes there are people inside institutions who value their own position and power in the institution more than the overall good of the institution itself. That's, uh, you know, you can find more about the iron law of institutions there, that little thesis, and I think there's some truth to that. It's not universal, but certainly we all run into those people. And I say all that to say that we are, of course, union partisans. We are union members. We are proud union members. We believe every worker deserves a union and should have one. But we're not naive. We recognize that unions are not perfect. We recognize that there are people listening that may have had bad experiences with unions in the past. We've got to you know, be honest about that. And one of the things that's very important, perhaps most important to the strength of a union, is the engagement of its membership. And that's something I really hammered home uh, with my session on how to get involved as a new member. Ultimately, you know, membership involvement, that's the lifeblood of the organization. And I've talked a little bit about how to get involved, but it's important to know your rights inside the union. And there are some places you can find that information, starting with the Department of Labor. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to just reiterate a couple of things that I mentioned in my How to Get Involved meet, uh, session. And that would be to obtain a copy of your constitution, bylaws, and any policies that your union may have. You need to have the governing documents of your union. And that's going to tell you a lot about how the union operates, or how it's supposed to operate, at least. And it's going to let you know how you fit into that, some of your rights and responsibilities. So I recommend that you know that, that you have that, uh, that you learn it very early on. That's important to ensure that your rights are being respected, to ensure that you're carrying out your responsibilities as a member, and so that you can effectively get involved and make things better. Have a stronger union so that you have a stronger workforce, so we have a stronger community. But sometimes you have to look outside the union to know what your rights may be. And something that I think a lot of folks don't necessarily realize is that you have rights guaranteed under federal law as a member of a labor union. There's something called the LMRDA, the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act. And this law 
guarantees certain rights to union members and imposes certain responsibilities on union officers. The Office of Labor Management Standards, OLMS, enforces many of the LMRDA provisions, while other provisions, such as the Bill of Rights, ultimately may only be enforced by union members through private suit in federal court. There are field offices of the Office of Labor Management Standards across the country, just as there are field offices of the National Labor Relations Board. So this is one of those topics that's a little bit tough to discuss because as union folks, we never want to uh, give a bad impression of our unions. But as I mentioned, we're talking about people. We're talking about institutions run by people. So not everything always runs the way it should. Not everything's perfect. And knowing these rights and knowing what the law says is going to help you navigate that. So what does the Bill of Rights say for union members? Right. This is from that law, the LMRDA. It has a little Bill of Rights for union members. And here's the Bill of Rights for union members according to federal law. Number one, union members have equal rights to participate in union activities. Number two, freedom of speech and assembly for union members. Next, union members have a voice in setting rates of dues, fees, and assessments. Union members have protection of the right to sue, and union members have safeguards against improper discipline. That is all part of the Union Member Bill of Rights under the LMRDA. One of the other things that the law sets out is that union members have the right to receive or inspect copies of the collective bargaining agreement. Now, I recognize that not every union member is in a workplace where you have a contract. But if you do have a contract, as a member, you have a right to see that. Right now, notice I said the right to receive or inspect copies. So there may be some gray area as to whether or not you are, in fact, entitled to a full copy, you know, via PDF to your email. There could be some gray area there. And I'm not an expert. I'm not a lawyer. So I can't tell you uh, exactly where things line up there. What I can tell you is that the, the Department of Labor is very clear that you at least have the right to receive or inspect copies of the collective bargaining agreement. Now, in most, most cases, this will not be an issue, right? In most cases, your union wants you to see your contract. They, the biggest problem is not, you know, folks not being able to get it. Oftentimes, it's folks not being able or willing to read it. A union depends on membership participation. That means members who understand the contract, who've read the contract, 
and can help the union enforce the contract. Because it doesn't matter how great it may sound on paper if it's never enforced. But you do have a right to see that contract. If you are working under a collective bargaining agreement, and for whatever reason you've never seen that, you should find it. You should find it. You should ask to see it. Every worker should know the terms of their employment. Particularly when you're talking about a collective bargaining agreement in which ultimately you have some say-so over this, these terms of employment. So the law is clear that you have a right to see that. Something else that the law sets out is that unions are required to file certain reports. And now, this can vary from administration to administration in, in the White House as to, you know, how seriously this is taken, how, you know, some administrations crack down on unions more than others when it comes to filing these reports. Uh, in some cases, these reports can feel like a burden for the union. And in some cases, perhaps that's how it's intended to be. But regardless of how you feel about them, the truth is there are required reports. So what is required? Uh, a union's required to file something called an LM1, Form LM1. That's an, an initial information report. You're also supposed to file a copy of your constitution and bylaws. Right? Every union is supposed to have a constitution and bylaws. And not only are they supposed to be in effect, in existence, they are supposed to be on file with the OLMS. So you have your LM1, Initial Information Report. You have your copy of your constitution and bylaws. And then you have an annual financial report a form LM2, 3, or 4. And so every year, your union is supposed to file this annual financial report, either an LM2, LM3, or LM4, with the OLMS. Unions must make the reports available to members and permit members to examine supporting records for just cause. The reports are public information, and copies are available from the OLMS Internet Public Disclosure Room at www.unionreports.dol.gov. So I mentioned earlier that you should have a copy of your constitution and bylaws. That's very important as a member to know how your union is supposed to operate and to know what you should do as a union member. And I mentioned in the How to Get Involved training that there is this backdoor method to access it if you really, really can't get your hands on it. And that goes for a lot of information. There's between the information report, the LM1 form, the financial report, the LM2, 3, or 4 form, and the constitution and bylaws that are supposed to be submitted, right? There's quite a bit of information there that you can access through the Department of Labor 
if you're in a situation where your union is not being transparent. Now let me just pause here to say, I would hope that you enter into your union engagement in good faith. And I would urge you to, to assume good faith on the part of others until you've been proven wrong. Uh, unless you have reasons to assume there's something nefarious, and maybe you do, but if you don't have reasons to assume something nefarious, it's best not to. What I have found in my 10 or so years in this movement is that you have some unions with officers who have been officers for a long time. It's been the same you know, handful of folks rotating offices for years. Not necessarily because these are bad people or power-hungry people or you know, a, a clique or anything like that, but because the union has not had a lot of engagement and volunteers over the years, and it just sort of all kind of fell on the lap of a handful of people. There are times where officers don't file the reports like they're supposed to. It may or may not mean anything egregious. It may or may not mean anything nefarious. It could be a mistake. It could be they weren't fully aware of their responsibilities. So, again, this is a dicey subject area because there's, there's room here to make critique of unions as they currently exist, and some of that is certainly fair. But I'm encouraging you as an individual member to be strategic in how you proceed. Know your facts before you get off on a, on a mission. So as a new member or as someone who's getting involved, the easiest thing to do is to talk to your reps and talk to your officers and find out what you can from them and see what you can get from them. I would assume, perhaps this is a false assumption, but I'm assuming that most listeners in their unions are not going to have a difficult time seeing their contract or getting a copy of their constitution and bylaws. And you probably won't even have a very difficult time seeing what's on those forms that are turned into the Department of Labor. But just in case there is that issue there, now you know that you can go online and you can find out quite a bit of information about your union that is on file with the federal government. And you don't necessarily have to go through a gatekeeper. If there's someone in your union who wants to be a gatekeeper to information and doesn't like to share information with the membership, you know, that's unfortunate. Ultimately, I think the best way to operate is to be as above board as possible, as transparent as possible, and to communicate with the members. The, the members should know what's going on. But... If it's not happening, that is part of the reason, I mean, these laws are in place, right? So those reports can be very valuable if you are trying to find out any information about your union. Those reports could be a good place to start. If you've had no luck, you know, 
the traditional manner and the traditional manner of, of just talking through, through your officers and your reps. So what else does the LMRDA say that your unions should do? Well, you should have officer elections, right? All unions are democratic organizations to varying degrees. Some are perhaps more democratic than others. Some are more centralized than others, right? Some lend more um, power to staff versus governance. Some lend more power to the top layers of governance, such as president. It all varies from union to union, but at the end of the day, they are democratic organizations. And as part of that, unions are required to have officer elections. And you as a member, you as a union member, you have a right to nominate candidates for office. You have a right to run for office. You have a right to cast a secret ballot. And you have the right to pro protest the conduct of an election. Every union should have its own procedures for elections. But they do have to be consistent with the law. So there's room for each union to kind of do things in a way that works for them. Not every union is going to have, you know, handle elections the same way or have the same amount of term, you know, terms could be different depending on the office, depending on the election, depending on the union. That's all fine. But there does have to be elections eventually, right? <laughs> Officer removal is something else that the law does address. Uh, local union members have the right to an adequate procedure for the removal of an elected officer guilty of serious misconduct. Consult your constitution and bylaws for more information about what that procedure looks like and how serious misconduct may be defined. Trusteeships. Is something else that's mentioned. Unions may only be placed in trusteeship by a parent body for the reasons specified in the LMRDA. So from time to time, there are issues in a local that are so severe that they are put in trusteeship. I'll give you an example. When I was hired by the Alabama Education Association back in 2015, they were actually in trusteeship. The NEA, the parent organization, the National Education Association, had placed AEA in trusteeship. So ultimately, the NEA had final authority over the AEA at the time, and that's because of issues that had come up, issues that are addressed in the LMRDA. So if there are financial shenanigans, if there are other violations of the law happening in a local, it can get bad enough that you actually have your local put into trusteeship. A couple other things. Prohibition against certain discipline. A union or any of its officials may not fine, expel, or otherwise discipline a member for exercising any LMRDA right. If it's your right, you have a right to exercise it, free of any fine or penalty. 
And the LMRDA uh, has a prohibition against violence. It's probably not a surprise, but no one may use or threaten to use force or violence to interfere with a union member in the exercise of their LMRDA rights. So, just to be clear, you cannot threaten to whip someone's tail because they wanted to speak at the union meeting. Even if what they said may have been kind of dumb. Because, let's face it, sometimes an open floor can invite comments that are not always uh, the savviest. It is what it is. But the federal government does frown upon you using violence inside your union. Now, historically, we know uh, the federal government has also not always frowned upon employers using violence towards union members, but that's subject for another day. So the LMRDA talks about your rights as a union member. It also talks about your responsibilities as a union officer, which, of course, are relevant to your rights as a rank-and-file union member. There are certain financial safeguards required. Union officers have a duty to manage the funds and property of the union solely for the benefit of the union and its members in accordance with the union's constitution and bylaws. Union officers or employees who embezzle or steal union funds or other assets commit a federal crime punishable by a fine and or imprisonment. So that's just something to note. If you become a treasurer, for example, dot your I's and cross your T's. You don't want even the appearance of something shady because we're talking about a federal crime. There are bonding requirements. Union officers or employees who handle union funds or property must be bonded to provide protections against losses if their union has property and annual financial receipts which exceed $5,000. Right, so this doesn't apply to the tiniest unions, but certainly to many. As I mentioned earlier, there are certain reports that must be filed by the union. So union officers must file an initial information report, that form LM1, and those annual financial reports, the LM2, 3, or 4, and retain those records necessary to verify the reports for at least five years. So if you are a treasurer or secretary, for example, hold on to that stuff. Hold on to it for at least five years. You know, it's worth it's worth the uh, the space to ensure that you're in compliance. Officer reports: Union officers and employees must file reports concerning any loans and benefits received from or certain financial interest in employers whose employees their unions represent and businesses that deal with their unions. In other words. The president of your union, well, he shouldn't be getting a loan from the company that he negotiates against. And certainly it has to be reported if something like that happens. As far as officer elections, again, unions must hold elections of officers of local unions by secret ballot at least every three years. 
That doesn't mean that every term has to be a three-year term, but that at least every three years you have elections of officers, right? Some may choose to have a one-year term for a position. That's fine. You have to conduct regular elections in accordance with the Constitution and bylaws and preserve all records for one year. Just because the election's over doesn't mean you can trash all that stuff. You've got to hold on to it for at least a year. And the procedures have to follow what is in writing in your Constitution and bylaws. So that's one of those areas where you really want to look and see, does it make sense? What you have in writing is what you're supposed to do. And if what you have in writing doesn't really make sense anymore for your union for whatever reason, maybe you'd like to swap to electronic voting, and that's not currently permitted. Well, you need to update your constitution and bylaws to reflect that. Right? Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean you can just go off and do it. There are, there's a certain process there. So the union must mail a notice of election to every member at least 15 days prior to the election. The union must comply with the candidate's request to distribute campaign material and not use union funds or resources to promote any candidate, nor may employer funds or resources be used. Okay, so this also applies to the company. They cannot weigh in to the union election, nor should they. And the union cannot pick a candidate. The union, as an official entity, has to remain neutral during the election itself. So if you have a contested election, and this say three people are running for president, the union can't pick and choose which of those three candidates gets access to the list and which ones don't. Right? It's, it's got to be equitable. So the union permits candidates to have election observers, and the union also must allow candidates to inspect the union's membership list once within 30 days prior to the election. My understanding is, of course, you can do more. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so putting that out there. But my understanding is you can you can go above and beyond what's required here, but at the very least, you must meet these requirements. There are certain restrictions on holding office. A person convicted of certain crimes may not serve as a union officer, employee, or other representative of a union for up to 13 years. Loans. A union may not have outstanding loans to any one officer or employee that in total exceeds $2,000 at any time. Okay, Just because you're the treasurer doesn't mean you get to write a loan to yourself. Unfortunately, such shenanigans happen from time to time. That's why it's so important to be engaged as a member to keep an eye on things, to know what's going on, and to know that the people you elected to represent you are representing you. Or in some cases, like I said, it could be nothing nefarious. It could be a lack of training and a lack of understanding. Okay, A lot of times people get pushed into union offices. They're just at the right place at the right time. People think that they would make a good representative, and they're kind of convinced and strong-armed into doing it, right? doesn't necessarily mean they understand the ins and outs of the LMRDA. So that's where 
it has to be part of your union culture that everyone is familiar with this, that everyone is made familiar with what the law requires of the union so the union can remain in compliance. And last thing there, the, uh, in terms of fines, a union may not pay the fine of any officer employee convicted of any willful violation of the LMRDA. Okay, so if your president willfully violates this law, the union can't pay the fine. Okay, that would be that individual would have to pay that fine. Now, where did I find this information? I found this information from the DOL, the Department of Labor. You can Google union member rights and responsibilities, and it should be one of the first things that pops up for you. And again, this is all under the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, the LMRDA. Could we debate the pros and cons of the LMRDA? Yes. Um, are, are there things that should be changed? Yes. Um, there are, there, that, there's a whole discussion to be had there. But what I'm talking about is what exists today. You know, April 13th, 2023, this is what the law says about your rights as a union member. And one last thing to note here is the right to fair representation. And, and this is directly from the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB. You have a right to be represented by your union fairly, in good faith, and without discrimination. Your union has a duty, has the duty, to represent all employees, whether members of the union or not, fairly, in good faith, and without discrimination. This duty applies to virtually every action that a union may take in dealing with an employer as your representative, including collective bargaining, handling grievances, in operating exclusive hiring halls. For example, a union which represents you cannot refuse to process a grievance because you have criticized union officials or because you're not a member of the union. But the duty does not ordinarily apply to rights a worker can enforce independently, such as filing a worker's compensation claim or to internal union affairs such as the union's right to discipline members for violating its own rules. So if you are a union rep, you have an obligation to rep your people fairly, in good faith, and without discrimination. Whether you like them or not, whether you're part of the same side inside the union, right? Because there's internal union politics. And the bigger the union, the bigger the politics. In some cases, you have entire caucuses that are organized and run opposing slates in every election. It gets quite political and quite, quite contentious. But regardless of what side of the debate you may be on, should not impact your, your obligation to represent the employee fairly, in good faith, and without discrimination. That's something that I think is very important, especially if you are, you know, new to getting involved. You're going to have to help people in your union that you don't necessarily, deep down in your heart, want to. That's just a reality. Okay? Sometimes 
there are situations where you may not like what the person has done, or you may not like what the pe person thinks or says, but you still have a right to represent them fairly. As my time as a staffer, when I represented public education employees, I did my best to treat every member the same. I fought for every member regardless of how I felt about them because there were some I was, you know, closer to than others, some I knew better than others. There were some that, you know, I maybe I had more in common with than others. But at the end of the day, I fought for every member. And that's, that is your job as the union rep. And the flip side to that is, as a member, that's your expectation. That your union will treat you fairly, in good faith, and without discrimination. And that you come to them with an issue, they will evaluate it on its merits. Not based on who you are, what you look like, but the merits of the case. And a word of caution there. Just because your union says you don't have a case doesn't mean you've been a victim. Sometimes you really don't have a case. And that's hard to hear. Not every gripe is a grievance. And not every grievance is a winner. That's just the truth. And we may not like it. And it may be unfair in certain ways. It may reflect issues in your contract or your policies. It may reflect issues in your workplace. But I want to caution people that just because your union says you don't have a case doesn't mean you have been victimized and, and suddenly your rights under LMRDA have been violated. It could just be the case that you don't have a case, right? That is also possible. Uh, and I say that because you know, the union will get its share of critics. And some of those critics are not operating in good faith. Or some of those critics did not have a case that warranted union resources and attention. And that made them upset. And so they go around and tell people the union won't help you. And that that can be very harmful. So tread carefully there. If you feel like your union hasn't helped you, really make sure you understand the situation. It's unfortunate and it should never happen. But if it, if it does, of course, exercise your rights and, and proceed strategically, though. Know, know what you know and know what you don't know. Because I can only speak to, you know, experiences that I've had, but I've been both on the staff side and on the membership side. So I have seen both of those lenses. And sometimes members would come to me as their staff rep with issues that were legitimate issues, but were not legitimate grievances. They didn't warrant the union providing an attorney for their representation, okay? If your boss looked at you in a bad way, if your boss doesn't say good morning to you, 
your boss says good morning to other people, but not to you. Okay, that's that's probably an issue. But that doesn't mean the union should give you a lawyer about that. I mean, sometimes, you know, folks don't get the answer they want. So I think that's just... I wanted to close with those words of caution there because there's always a lot of gossip about the union, good and bad. And it's important that when you have those good stories to tell, that you tell that testimony. And in the moments where your union has fallen short, make sure you know the facts and be careful about how you talk about that. Because you don't want to do something that's going to ultimately hurt not just your union, but the members, right? But the flip side to that is where unions fall short in these responsibilities, it is damaging to the movement as a whole. We need unions that are clean and transparent and democratic. Okay, I believe that is very critical to the success of our labor movement. And I believe our labor movement success is critical to ultimately having a better country. So these responsibilities are not to be taken lightly. That's a little bit about your union rights. That's a little bit about your rights as a member of a labor union. What the federal government says your rights are. You should know them. And you should exercise them. And you should defend them. All right. As I wrap things up this morning, I do want to mention some excellent upcoming training opportunities from Labor Notes. Their upcoming stewards workshop is Assertive Grievance Handling. That's going to be held on Wednesday, April 19th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. It's an online Zoom workshop. It's intended for stewards and elected officers who work closely with stewards. So only register if that does apply to you. Fighting grievances isn't only about how well you argue your case. It's also about organizing members to build pressure on management. This workshop will focus on how to win creatively without going to arbitration or sometimes without even filing a grievance. Join Labor Notes for an online workshop for shop stewards on supercharging your grievances. Hear from stewards about how they've used grievances to organize their coworkers and talk with other labor activists about how to handle sticky situations. Registration is $10, but no one will be turned away for lack of funds. Register online at labornotes.org. Very relevant for today's topic is the May workshop by Labor Notes. What to do when your union breaks your heart. It's going to be held on Tuesday, May 2nd, and run from 7, let's see, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Again, these are online Zoom workshops. If you're a union member, unfortunately, the chances are good that you've had or will have your heart broken at least once by one of your own leaders. Whether you tried to get involved and there was nowhere to go, or the members got sold out, or leaders want to keep their union as their exclusive club, it can feel pretty harsh. In this workshop, we'll talk about how to recommit to your union and change the culture into one where leaders respect and serve the members. Good news is this workshop will be offered on a monthly basis, so if you cannot make it to this session, stay tuned for next month's event. 
Registration for this one is free at labornotes.org. Finally, the Secrets of a Successful Organizer May Workshop Series. These sessions will run from on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time on May 3rd, 10th, and 17th. Labor Notes asks that you attend all three workshops in the series. These workshops are based on our widely acclaimed, are their widely acclaimed book, Secrets of a Successful Organizer, which I also acclaim. <laughs> I think it's a great book. These trainings will be held via Zoom. Once you register, you get a link to the Zoom, and they'll send you emails weekly with links to the sessions on the day of the event. Cost is $15 for the whole series. That includes access to all workshops until space is filled. Session one is beating apathy. Session two is assembling your dream team. And session three is turning an issue into a campaign. So highly recommend you guys check that out. Uh, if y'all are looking for some training of any sorts, definitely look into labornotes.org and what they've got. All right, they've got some great stuff planned for the next month or so. Every month. But definitely uh, what, what they have is, is looking good. All right, so that's it for the sixth episode of Shop Talk, y'all. Hope it was worth your time, and I really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, I hope you learned a little something this morning. Hopefully you learned something that you can take with you. And hopefully you learned some things that, frankly, you never have to use, right? Because I hope that every one of you has a positive union experience with great leaders, great reps, and, you know, your rights are fully respected and you never have any issues. I hope that's the case, and fingers crossed that is the case for you. Uh, but just in, in case that isn't the case, you now know a little bit about your legal rights as a union member under federal law. So if you enjoyed this, please share it with your network and make sure you're plugged into our work. Stay tuned to the Valley Labor Report on Saturday mornings starting at 9.30 a.m. Central, live on WVNN, YouTube, and Facebook. Please sign up for our email list at tvlr.fm, and don't forget to like, review, share, and subscribe. And finally, if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.